0: Welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we figure out how to build and run a SaaS. I'm Benedict. Each week we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we work on our products and keep the lights on by whatever means necessary. Today is August 4th and things are a bit different today. Uh, Brian is away traveling and while we planned to get an episode recorded, it turned out like the Wi-Fi connection just wasn't able to handle it he could hear me well but i couldn't barely hear a word of what he was saying so it made it (laughs) impossible to have any conversation but instead of leaving all of you with nothing to listen to we asked michelle and colleen of the recently launched software social podcast if they'd like to republish their first episodes on our feed Their format is pretty similar to ours, and I'm super excited that there's finally a podcast like this that isn't hosted by two dudes. And if you agree that this is long overdue, you can subscribe to their show at softwaresocial.dev. And with that, here's their first two episodes.
1: Welcome to the Software Social Podcast, where we invite you to join our weekly conversation about what's going on in our businesses. I'm Michelle Hansen. And I'm Colleen Schneller. And this week, we're giving you an intro to what this podcast is about and who we are and why we're doing this and why we're hoping you'll join us.
2: So, Michelle, can you start by telling us a little bit about your software business? Yeah, so I am a co-founder of Geocodeo,
1: which is a software as a service company. We do geocoding for US and Canada, as well as data matching. And my husband and I started it about six and a half years ago now as a side project. And we
2: have run it full time for the past three years. So you're basically living the dream is what you're telling me.
1: Some people would would say that I, I, uh, I, I I bristle at that a little bit. Uh, There's definitely (laughs) a lot more, more dream to be had. Um, but yeah, definitely people people do say that to me, especially people who are looking to
2: create their own software businesses, which is kind of the boat you're Much in. like myself. Yeah. Yes. So I am a Ruby on Rails developer. I've kind of had a varied career, always in tech. I started as an electrical engineer. Um, I stayed home with my kids for a few years, and then I started learning Rails, and I built up a really successful consultancy. So that has been amazing and a wonderful journey for me but I have always wanted to start a product business there's just like this dream of having a product business that you kind of are you know in charge of your own life and your own business you get to make your own decisions and so that's something I've always I've always wanted and um man it's hard it <laughs> so, is hard <laughs> I, Right? Like it's, you know, I I read a lot of startup content. I have read a lot of books. I follow a lot of successful startup founders. And there's so many stories out there that make it seem like, I mean, you don't hear about it till they're successful. So it makes it seem like it's easy. And I'm at the very beginning of this journey. And, um, you know, I'm just getting started. So part of my impetus for doing this podcast with you is obviously to learn a lot about what you can teach people who are in the early stages of their business and also to stay inspired and, um, you know, to share with people what it's really like to start a business.
1: I don't think you give yourself enough credit, Colleen, in saying that you're just at the very beginning You have been working intently on this for over a year now. I remember it was last summer when you came to me and you were so excited about an idea and this this passion you had that was leading you towards that idea. And you started doing user research on it and having something that you were passionate about and then doing the work to see if there's legs to it and then realizing that there aren't that counts as work, that is valuable, productive work.
2: I hope so, cause it, it was quite a lot of work. And um, so just a, a brief overview is I had an idea to kind of uh, do something with the childcare industry. And I, I had a founder, um, someone I was going to work with, and she and I interviewed quite a few people that would have been on our target market. So we kind of took the steps you learn about, you know, with idea generation. And honestly, the truth is, I mean, we put in a lot of time and effort and we found out that it really was not a profitable business idea. And so it's hard to, to, you know, kind of get really excited about something and climb that mountain. And then just realize uh, no one wants to buy it. But on the oh, other yeah. hand, at least you know, right? Like at least we found that out before we started writing code, right? So I guess that saved us some time, didn't you? Guys have a few projects before GeoCodio. Oh, many, and we
1: had many projects in between that too, um, th- that we've launched in the interim. And it's it. There's no line that it's hard to find something that sticks. And and as you said. Nobody cares about something until you're a success, which is a really really lonely place to be for a very long time. You know, our first month we launched GeoCodio, we made $31. We thought we wow. were a ridiculous success because we were shocked that anybody wanted to pay us. Um we thought our product was pretty terrible and we were we were truly sh- we were so shocked that we hadn't even written the code that would tell stripe to bill people. That was how surprised we were that anyone wanted to pay us. Um and and it, we worked on it as a side project for a very long time and it wasn't until just before I went full time that that people started kind of noticing what we were doing and asking us to talk at conferences or or be on a podcast. Like there's that was a very long time. Um where, yeah, it, it, exactly like you were saying, um, you don't hear a lot of those stories. You only hear the stories when people are successful. And I think what we're hoping to capture here is is some of that granularity that goes in week by week when you're launching something. And then also the kinds of things you face um, on a daily basis when you have launched something and and it's gotten to the point where you can work full time on it. What What are the kinds of uh, things that you might be facing at that point um and and how do we tackle them? so
2: you guys had the business for a few years before you went full time, right? yeah,
1: yeah, like three it was like three and a half years until I went full time and then my husband went part time six months later and then full time six months after that, like honestly, we were terrified of paying for health insurance on our own and that was a big thing that kept us from going full-time. We probably could have gone full-time a lot sooner, but, um, I mean, given the experience I had just a couple months ago trying to buy health insurance, I'm, I'm glad I put that off. Um, but it's, it's, it's possible not to scare anyone. Um, but there's, you know, very real fears that come into it. Even when you do have something that works and you have customers and your revenue is increasing you're going to have a whole new set of anxieties to face. So congratulations. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
2: no, everything is solvable. (laughs) I think when you're where I am in this process, it seems like so far away, right? Like, like it seems like, man, if I could just make a product that people want to buy, my life will be rainbows and sunshine and easy every day. I can see that and also you know our
1: everyday is we we've got something that's that's launched that you know has recurring revenue and 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 you know supports us and everything and every day there's still people who are upset with us. Every day we discover things with our product that we're like, "Oh, my that is so obviously bad. Like we need to fix that. Like how has that been like that for so long? This is embarrassing." Um, like that—that that happens. To, that happened today. It happened yesterday. Um, and at the same time, you know, some of the things you were talking about earlier—that the dream so many people have for having a product business, being able to be your own boss, getting to make decisions, getting to have that level of autonomy and authority and direction over your own work—that um, doesn't go away, and, and that definitely keeps me going. And, um, really what makes it worth it when, uh, when not everything is really otherwise.
2: Yeah. I imagine you're a parent as well as am I. Um, and I imagine it goes both ways, right? Like I imagine the flexibility you have with running your own business is amazing to help you parent, but on the other hand, can you ever take a vacation? Yes and no. (laughs) You know, I mean, you
1: know, like we started this as a side project, right? And, you know, we both had, you know, full-time like tech jobs. But um, in the early years of the business, like I remember the first time that we like took a vacation with money we had earned from the business, which was I think about two year, two and a half years in. And I remember we were driving on these beautiful roads on Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia and it's just like these rolling hills and it's just it was so gorgeous and I was replying to someone on on intercom at the same time um because (laughs) you know an issue had come up and that's just been uh been the case the whole time and my perspective on that has always been we're only able to have the life we do because of the business and so yes Mm -hmm. like very often one of us is dealing with something for, for work at the dinner table or, um, when we're on vacation or when, when, when we have life going on, or especially with the pandemic and being at home with other things going on all at the same time. Um, and, and, and that has pros and cons at the same time, you know, working in a a corporate job, I think all of us can speak to there's, always some issue that's blowing up on Slack off hours that you have to deal with. And so Mm -hmm. it's not really that different. The only difference is that when you are responding to that customer or, you know, once we we took a call with a potential um, large customer while on a road trip through Belgium um, was that we we got all of the money from that, right? Like it wasn't that like we would have to prove to our boss at the end of the year, like, look at all this time I did when I, w- all this work I did when I was on vacation, all these t- time I put in on the weekends and at night, like, so, Hey, like, you know, give me a 2% raise, right? Like you don't have to do right. with that. Like if you land that contract and you sacrifice a part of your vacation, you get the money. It's very clear cut right. And So that makes it worth it for me. I feel like my daughter might have a different perspective. And sometimes she's like, you guys need to stop talking about Diocodio at dinner. Let's talk about something else. Something else is not boring. So, um, so, you know, I always joke that if, you know, maybe our business talk will either make her adept at business herself or she's just going to totally rebel and um, not want anything to do
2: with it. But
1: um, I mean, you've got clients. I mean, that's not like... You don't ever get to fully log off either, right?
2: No, I really don't. So as a, you know, in my consultancy, I am a single point of failure. Like I have one really large contract, really big client that I share with another developer, which is nice. But um, yeah, it, you know, if something goes down or, um, you know, they, they want something, I'm usually relatively accessible. It does make it hard To, I mean, you know, it's interesting. It does make it hard to really take a vacation. Um, And it's interesting because I have never been a good office employee. Um, I don't like working for other people. I don't like sitting in meetings. I don't like other people to tell me how to do my work or when to do my work. So consulting has really been great for me. But there is this, this joke that like you spend all your time trying to go from employee to consultant. And then as soon as you're a consultant, you're ready to jump to something else. Because sometimes it feels like you have multiple bosses, right? Because you have like several different clients. They all have different needs. They're all contacting you. So it has given me immense flexibility with which, you know, I couldn't work an office job right now with the pandemic. And now apparently we're homeschooling the children because they're not going back to school. So I have to have this flexibility but you know, it it does feel like I'm always, it does feel like I always have to be plugged in. Like I always kind of have to be on top of it. And if I, I am a single point of failure, so if I can't figure it out or I can't get it done, like it doesn't get done. So sometimes that does pressurize the situation, but I imagine much like having a product business, I still like consulting more than I liked a traditional office role. Oh, absolutely. And so I guess, you know, in, in closing, um, with
1: this podcast, what we're, we're hoping to do is bring you in to our conversations, conversations like this, um, that Colleen and I are having regularly anyway, and considering the different stages that we are at and how that plays off of one another, maybe you'll find this helpful. Maybe you're looking to start your own business. Maybe you're looking to branch out into, into other things. Um, Whatever that might be, we want to invite you to sit at the table um with us. Um we take the name of the podcast from a great little coffee shop in Arlington, Virginia called Northside Social, where we used to meet up um before the pandemic. Um and, and so so we're inviting you to sit at our table um and and listen in and and hopefully um share your own thoughts. So tell me, Colleen. What's going on with your consulting slash transition to product business this week?
2: So, I have been stuck in the idea generation phase of trying to start a small business for quite a while. And I've had a lot of different ideas that I've chased down, and they really have not amounted to much. So, I've decided instead of continually searching for something, I am going to build something that I want that I know I will use with my clients and throw it out in the world and hope it sticks. Exactly, Dog fooding. Yeah. This really for me, like a lot of the literature I read about startups and I read a lot of literature about startups says not to code before you have an established market. But the truth is it's something I want. It's something I know my clients will use because I am their developer and I'm sick of kind of spinning my, my wheels. I feel like I need to take more action. So,
1: Colleen, what is this idea you're working on?
2: So I am working on an image hosting platform. I hate to use the term platform. It's not really a platform. Basically, what I'm trying, what I'm building is something that's going to be a JavaScript widget that you install into your site that's going to provide you with a drop zone um, UI and then your users can drop their images into your drop zone UI. It puts them, it's going to create cloud storage for you and it's going to save them to the cloud and the cloud will be under my business, um, I don't know if I explained that well. It'll be in the cloud. I'll put them in front of a CDN because I think the CDN part's really important. And it's just going to return the URL. So that's my plan. And there's a lot of image management software out there. Actually, there's a ton of image management software out there. But there's nothing that's just really easy. Like when you're working on a small SaaS app, in my opinion, you just want to move forward as quickly as possible. And you want to make progress. And the stuff out there isn't bad, but... I just want to make it dead simple, especially for like newer developers or developers who don't want to deal with a lot of image management or they don't want to figure out how to use AWS. Like when you're a newer developer, you're just learning how to develop. You don't want to then have to go spend hours and hours figuring out AWS, in my opinion. So it's just going to make the process simple. It's going to be like a five minute install. You just drop the snippet in, you put the button on and... It will provide your users their drop zone. And all you have to do is save the URL of the image. So now you automatically have your image hosted on the cloud. So you don't have to worry about that. Like I said, I have not yet, but my goal is to put it in front of a CDN. So you don't have to worry about that. And then you can use the image, you know, like you would any cloud image.
1: So have you talked to other developers who have talked about their frustrations with other image management platforms? no Colleen
2: (laughs) so here's the thing I know I know so here's okay I know but like I have come every client I have I have this freaking problem that's that's where it really irks me that there's not a better solution that's that's where something that's worth something and so when I do talk okay that's not fair when I first started I did talk to people and there is <laughs> I did talk to other people.
1: <laughs> Before the pandemic, we talked to other people, right? In general.
2: Yeah. Before no. when I could talk to people. So, I have talked to people about this. And a lot of them use big so so the people I know like they use big powerful solutions, like enterprise level solutions because they work for enterprise level clientele, right? So, a lot of my friends work for big, you know, fancy companies and so they have these big enterprise solutions and so i have looked at those solutions and they're not bad but they're a pain to set up it's way more like there's one that's really popular in the rails community and it's fine but like it's just way more overhead when you just want your user to be able to add a couple images right like it's a huge overhead to import this third-party library and Figure it, it's a whole thing. You got to figure out how to use it. It's a whole thing. Like, it's just too hard for what you're trying to do. So I am trying to take this thing that almost every application needs. Your user usually has some kind of avatar. Most applications use some kind of images. So I'm just trying to take this thing that everyone needs and make it really, really easy. Like, just simplify the heck out of it. It sounds
1: like this is something that you experience frequently and is pretty annoying for you, which is you know a great place to be for a potential product is something that a user experiences frequently and is something painful. You know if you had if you um, had an idea and it's something that isn't very painful for people and doesn't happen very often, that's usually kind of a red flag. But if you can find something that's pretty frequent and pretty painful, that can be promising.
2: Yeah, so the first iteration of this I built was just for public images. So it was like for your static assets, and um, I built that because like images are just a pain point for me because they're just annoying, right? Users they take these like they have these huge files. Your designers give you these huge files, and you have to, you know, compress them and resize them and all this stuff. Um, but the first thing I kind of built, which is the the building blocks to what I'm working on now, was just public image hosting um, amongst teams. And that was cool. And I, I like that, but like no one was really interested in that because no one cares so much about web performance. Very few people care so much about web performance was my experience that they're actually going to, you know, resize all of their images that are just their static everyday images, or they're just going to throw them behind a CDN anyway. So they don't care. But this problem, I think the thing about this problem is it's a common problem and there's many, many, many different ways to solve it. And I have seen, as a consultant, I work for a lot of different companies over the past years, and I have seen all these different kinds of ways to solve it. And there's just no but it just doesn't feel like there's an easy, consistent way. Like you'll have one app that uses this gem, then one app that uses this gem, and then one app that does it this way. And I, I feel like we're taking this problem that doesn't have to be so hard and making it harder than it needs to be.
1: And and you know, as I hear you Talk. What I what I think about is you know you were mentioning earlier how you consume a lot of startup literature and and talks and, and advice on starting a business and something that always comes across in, in those kinds of venues is how you know you should be passionate about it and you should be passionate about the business and you should be passionate about about what you're solving and whatnot and you know I don't think there are any you know eight year old kids out there saying. Mom and dad, when I grow up, I'm gonna solve image management software. Um, But what does drive someone is experiencing a problem so often that you are passionate about solving that feeling of pain. And I think this is something that really gets lost in that, you know, startup literature, hustle porn whatever you want to call it, is that the pain of something and really the empathy you feel for yourself and for other people who are experiencing that same problem, it doesn't have to be the specific problem itself, but the idea of taking away some amount of pain, whether that's for you or for for other people, um, that is a huge motivator. And and I think that's one of the great things about dog fooding is that you're solving a problem for yourself so you are motivated to fix it. And like worst case scenario, if nobody else uses it, you have solved a problem for yourself and you have eliminated a frustration in your life and you just have more brain power that you can focus on things that you would rather think about rather than this super annoying problem that you're facing all the time.
2: Right? And I I feel like this idea like I think I said um, I mentioned that I got I you know I kind of was stuck in this um, Ferris wheel of ideas without really getting anywhere. So the other thing that's nice about this idea is it's a it's a small thing. I don't see this becoming like a business like you know that grows into like a big It doesn't thing. have to be. Um, Who says it has to right? be? Right. I mean, I mean, I'm at the point. Well, I guess no one. <laughs> I guess like. <laughs> You know, I, and I'm at the point where I just wanted to put something out there because I feel like I've been, I've just been spinning my wheels for a while now and I just need to kind of get back in the game. And yeah, you're right. This is a frequent problem I have. I all, I would like to just have a consistent way to solve it. So next time I come up with someone, cause I get a lot of these applications uh, that are halfway done or almost done or need to be fixed in what I do. I'd like to just be able to like, all right, I don't know what this architecture is, but I'm putting this little little widget in here and it's going to solve all our problems and i don't have to do the whole aws dance again in
1: that specific area
2: yeah and i really think too like the, the beauty of of a marketplace for rails developers like heroku is it helps people that are new to coding get get up to speed quickly and i feel like image storage in the cloud can be a really challenging issue for people who are new to coding because they just learned how to write a Rails app and deploy it. And now they have to figure out, you know, cloud storage and how to manage that and how to resize their images and, and how to put them in front of a CDN. And it's just a lot. So I really do feel like this is a real problem. I don't know that it's a real problem that people will pay for. Um, but it feels like a real problem to me. So my challenge now is, is twofold. Like I'm gonna do it. I'm like 90% done, and you remember what they say about like the last 10% takes 90% of the time or whatever. So, of course, I you know I've just onboarded a new client that I'm really excited about, and they just announced that the kids aren't going back to school. So I have a lot on my plate right now, um, and so really my goal is to to prioritize this because this is really where I want to be. Like when I look at my life, this is you giving know you satisfaction. this is what I want to do. Yes, so much satisfaction. Like, you this is hope. what I want to do. I like, hope
1: that you will solve this problem, <laughs> yes. which is lacking in a lot of other yes. elements right now.
2: I have hope. And so, so my goal it. this week is. <laughs> thanks <laughs> my goal this week is really to prioritize getting this done i'm so close but of course like everyone like i always want to add one more feature right do like it. actually it get works it out right there. now like bare minimum
1: like you know the as you said like stuff like you know creating an account or creating an api key or all of the stuff that actually lets you launch something like that will probably take more time than you realize and will have more complications than you realize But at that point, as you said, you're so close to being over the finish line that you can just bang it out.
2: Yeah. And that's my goal. Like, I really like it. Well, I do need to I want to finish it right now. My goal is just to finish it. Right. And I know that, again, and then I don't know if anyone's going to buy it, um, but I'm so close to getting it done. And I just really want to get something out there. So like my goal for this upcoming week and like my priority is going to try and. Give myself the time. It's so hard um, as, you know, a human that has children and a spouse and all these all these demands on your time. Um, it's so hard to, like, prioritize that time. And so my goal is to, to find a way to to prioritize this time the next week because I'm so close to finish again and I just want to get it done. So. That's what's going on in my life. Let's talk about what's going on with GeoCodio. Yeah,
1: so something I have been thinking a lot about this week is pricing. Ooh, pricing—that sounds fun. <laughs> pricing is the hardest part of of having a business. Like, can, time and time again, um, it's the thing that we're banging our heads against the wall to figure out. Um, and and I think it's underappreciated as as a difficult um, element. Um, but it's every time we launch a product or, um, or doing something new or get a unique request from a customer, pricing is always the thing we spend the
2: most time on. So what is so hard about pricing? Like, that's a serious question. I don't know. Can't you just be like, ah, so there's a lot
1: of stuff that's tough about pricing. I mean, the the, the big thing is that Right. Like from a very basic level, you want to not only cover your costs, but you want to make some money on top of that. Right. So you have your costs and then, you know, off the bat, whatever the price is, you're going to lose. I always just ballpark 40 percent to taxes and other various expenses like that. Um, so then just figuring out where your break even is alone, like that's just the, f- the first step of it. But. The hard thing about pricing is you need to price it for the value the customer is getting. And that may not always be clear to you. And the value that a customer gets from it may not be entirely apparent. It may be difficult to parse out. But also, you need to figure out how the customer perceives the problem and what they understand, like what they express as the problem and how they would want to solve that. And that has to be expressed through the pricing. So like a really basic example of this, for example, is Slack, where they charge you per user if you're on a paid plan, which makes it easy to figure out, okay, we have 20 people in our organization and it's, I think it's like $5 a month or something like that, we'll just say that. And so we're gonna be charged $100 a month, I have 20 people, I can very easily calculate what it's going to cost me to use this, right? This is a metric that I understand, and I can see the value of having all of these twenty people be able to talk to one another on this platform ostensibly, even though slack is you know a huge problem for my own
2: productivity and <laughs> me uh, too <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so um so you know so so I was struggling with pricing a lot this past week because a customer came to us with a a, a a a problem that's adjacent to what we do and is something we actually have an internal tool for, but we've never productized. But we've we've considered it, and they asked us to productize it because they were really frustrated with their existing options, and um, due to some limitations and the pricing of their current vendors for it, they weren't able to use those tools with as many customers as they wanted to and they wanted to really expand that and they were like you know we really love your terms of service and your pricing and how you guys do things like is there any way that you guys can help us with this so you know we're, we're kind of looking at it and 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 as we one of the first steps of looking at pricing is always like looking at competitors so how are the competitors pricing this just what kind of structure are they using Um. You know, very often you see the kind of, you know, starter, professional, enterprise, like tiered pricing, right, that's that's pretty common. Um, and so I just find it helpful just, you know, how how do competitors frame the pricing? Because that, that helps you see how they understand the customer's problem and the kinds of features that they are launching for specific customer problems. So for example, with Slack, you only get compliance reporting at their highest paid plan because the people who need compliance reporting are able to pay for it. Those are banks. Those are, you know, regulated organizations that have to have to report on it. Right. So that's only at the very highest tier if they're capturing that value there for that feature. Um, but something else I was looking at was, you know, how, how do they perceive the customer's perception of the problem?
2: How do your competitors perceive the customer's perception? Yes.
1: How do they understand the customer's frame of reference? Like, I have just heard myself on the phone from the customer how they understand the problem. How is this being then expressed by the competitors? And what I noticed, which is really strange, actually, was that all of the companies out there for this specific service were pricing it basically based on their costs. So all of the pricing was based on their own bandwidth costs and then effectively a markup on top of that. And so this is for um, for map tiling, which is you need in order to load a map on a website, You whether you get it from, from Google or from, from somebody else. Um, and most companies charge for it based on the number of interactions that a particular user has with the map. And so that's basically the number okay. of tiles that have to be sent from the CDN. This is our CDN's episode, I guess. Um, from the c d n to load load the all those little squares on the map, which is why when you're like zooming in really far in a map sometimes you like see like squares loading because it's literally huh. squares of the map loading right, and so how okay. they charge for it is the number of tiles that load, and so how much the person interacts with it. The problem with that, do you know how many map tiles you? Required to load last time you were looking for a dentist or trying to locate the nearest grocery nope. store. Right. So somebody can go, you know, they, to their analytics. They can see how many users they have, but they don't know whether one person is going to be fifteen map tile loads or fifty map tile loads, right? Um, but the way mm-hmm. these things were charged was based on the map tile loads. And and I, so I was trying to ask our customer, you know, are you even able to tell me like like how many How many users you have or or, you know, what you're currently paying for this, anything. And they weren't even able to, like, translate those numbers very well because these companies made it so hard for them to figure out even um, what they're being charged and why. And so the much like AWS. (laughs) So so the hard thing about that was like, wow, we know the customer is frustrated by the fact that they they can't even predict. Right. It's not like that. We have 20 people and it's going to be five dollars a month. And those are terms that I understand. This is like we have right. ten, you know, we have ten thousand users, and if they have ten map tile loads or they have fifty map tile loads, we actually have no idea. Companies don't like when their pricing is unpredictable; um, they really like stability. Um, yeah. And so, it was taking that and figuring, okay, we know the customer likes a way for stable pricing. So, technically, how can we figure out like what a stable, consistent monthly price is? But then how can we figure out a way to price this that is in terms that the user understands, that is not charging them for this metric that they don't use in any other scenario that we're basically marking up bandwidth costs on top of it? Um, how, do, how do we frame it as something that they understand? Um, and so that's what something we're thinking about a lot this week. And it just keeps reminding me that pricing is so, so hard. And it's so easy to get to get wrong. It's also easy to change it and test it. Um, so, what do you guys do now for pricing? We have a couple of different pricing. So, this product I'm talking about here, we we haven't launched it yet, and we're oh, yeah, right. this would be a we, new product. So, for for GeoCodio in general, we have um, we have a freemium model, which actually people describe as not a pricing model; it's a marketing model, which is totally true. Um, but so we have a free tier, which is actually something we basically inherited from Google. When we launched, they had 2,500 free lookups per day, free address lookups. And so we're like, okay. well, that's, if that's the industry standard right now, we have to do that. So we did that. But then what really frustrated us was that you couldn't just pay for whatever you needed on top of that. It was either 2,500 free per day or like a hundred thousand a day for a, like ten thousand dollars a year enterprise contract, and we we're like, that's not us. Like we just need five thousand addresses per day. And actually, so pricing yeah. was something that that encouraged us to start to um, And so we have we have the free tier, and then we have pay as you go on top of that um, for people who have lower volume usage. Um, then we have an unlimited tier, which is for people who have much higher usage, usually about five million per day. Um, and then we have all sorts of customizations on top of that. So we have people that we're running custom clusters for because they need to process 20 million a day. We have on-premise customers, like we kind of have a a, a wide mix. Um, and then we also have our GeoGodeo Maps pro- project, which is monthly subscription only, but we're probably going to change that in the future and merge it in with the main product. And But then we're going to have this map tiling product and that that's also Maps. And so... What are the names of things? Naming and pricing, honestly. Like we, like (laughs) naming and pricing. We 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 suck at naming. Um, I feel like everybody thinks they suck at naming. Um, Yeah, yeah. Naming and pricing—they're—they're hard. Uh, Sometimes harder than anything technical, quite frankly.
2: So, have you come to any? Are you still like working it out, or have you come up with an idea? For the most
1: part, yeah. I mean, we sent the customer a proposal. We spent the whole weekend talking about it, which our daughter loved um and
2: <laughs> she's gonna be so business savvy but though but all, or gonna she's be gonna so like good. rebel
1: and be like a communist artist who doesn't believe that business should exist <laughs> because you <laughs> know um yeah so 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 we send them a proposal actually i need to get back to them um it's you know you were talking um on the last episode or no was it this one about how you feel like you're 90% of the way there and it's just like some polishing touches. Like have you figured out the pricing for your product yet?
2: Oh gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but mine'll be like like I haven't even thought about that. But mine'll be cloud storage. So I mean, I was just gonna go with markup whatever cloud storage cost you are using.
1: I mean, and that like and, and that works, but like I, I would almost consider you to be like, is there any way I can charge for like the number of images someone has? Even though you're going to be paying by the storage size, yeah. which is, you know, measured in gigabytes, right? Right. Like if you can somehow charge for a metric that the customer understands, like 10 images, yeah. they understand that. They may not understand how their images translate into size, um, into, yeah, into bytes. Like they, they may not get that.
2: No, you're totally right. Um, and I hadn't given it any thought. But now that you say that, it makes way more sense to be like, you have this many users. Each user gets to upload five images. That's your fee based on, you know, the number of images because the customer understands that. And if
1: they need more, like always be like, yeah, email us. Yeah, that's a great right? idea. And then you'll, you'll probably have some customers who, you know, if you have like mentally you say, OK, I'm going to, you know, I have this many, you know, gigs on my plan. So this is how many each customer gets. You will have some customers who will go over that, but you'll probably have some who are below it. And as long as that all averages out and you've calibrated that, then it'll be okay. And you can just have tiers and be like, then, you know, here's the tier where you Yeah, more. that's
2: a great idea because you're right. Like like pricing something in a way they understand, is that makes so much more sense. And make it easy for them to explain it to their boss too,
1: right? Like I always try to picture it like how would my customer go to their boss and explain you should pay for this service We've determined it's necessary. You know, it's better than the what we're using right now, or or the other competition. Um, and you know, we've got this many page views per month, or this many users, or this many like transactions we're processing, or, or whatever that metric is that your customer is using yeah. internally that they would talk about with their boss to sell their boss on buying your software. Try to figure out what that term is. You know, talk to your customer, um, and Try to find a way to, to price it in a way that matches the language that they're using and, and, and but not only the language, the mental model they're using
2: of why they need to use the service in the first place. yeah that makes great sense.
1: And it's hard. like I, I will not uh, undersell it that, that it is difficult to crawl inside other people's heads and other people's you know sort of organizations and try to figure out how they think about things. That's very difficult. but if you can get it right, it's uh, it's very powerful, and and you don't have to get it right the first time. You know, you can keep iterating it. You know, companies change their product mod- uh, their pricing models, all the time. You know, Amy Hoy has some some great content um, on that, and um, it, it's possible, but it, it deserves a
2: lot of time. So, for your your new product, um, I don't know if you can you can share, but did you decide to charge based? Did you find a metric? That, yeah, that kind of so set think you what,
1: apart? I, I think what we're gonna do is we are going to we are going to charge by bandwidth, but mm-hmm. it seems like pretty much all of the companies out there right now are only charging as pay as you go, even on like enterprise tiers. So you might end up paying Google like six thousand dollars a month. Ooh. Um yeah. But on a pay as you go model, so it's gonna be variable. Right. So we're we're gonna do it tiered and we're gonna start out with just one tier. Okay. And then we've set a, you know, we've set a price for if you need more, here's a, here's an additional cost. And we'll just kind of see how that goes. And, and we're, we want it to be clear with the customer. It's like, we may change this in the future, but we'll make sure that whatever we change it to, you're not going to pay more. Like if those tiers end up making it so that the, the, the amount you're getting right now, um, it is more expensive, you know, we'll, we'll keep you at the current cost. Okay. Which is always a good thing to do. Always, always yeah. let people keep legacy pricing.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was really illuminating. Pricing very hard. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I want to
1: mention that the Stripe has a good guide to pricing as well. Um, Patrick McKenzie wrote it in the in the Stripe Atlas guides, and and that's something that I consult often on like thinking about pricing. And he kind of dissects a couple of. Um, of, of different pricing scenarios for some companies. So you can see real life examples of, of pricing critiques. Well, that covers this week's software social podcast. We hope you enjoyed sitting at our table at the virtual coffee shop this week, and we hope you'll join us next week.